Welcome to the 45th episode of our news podcast. This is the first one of the year going from January 1st to January 7th. This podcast, along with all of our other podcasts, are part of Northern Provisions LLC. Check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran in active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art, and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-monthly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. That is at patreon.com slash analyze educate, where you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. We'll head into the news. In the new year, layoffs in major companies around the world are continuing. Amazon recently announced that they will expand its previously announced layoffs from 10,000 to 18,000 employees. The majority of those roles that are affected will be in the device and books, people experience and technology, and Amazon store departments. This follows other layoffs from last year from tech companies that includes Facebook, Twitter, and Roku, just to name a few. Moving on to the South Caucasus, state-organized Azerbaijani protesters and special forces personnel are still blockading the de facto ethnic Armenian Republic of Artsakh. The Lachkin Corridor, which connects Artsakh and Armenia, runs through Azerbaijani-controlled territory and is supposed to be kept open by Russian peacekeepers in the area who have so far failed to enforce ceasefire provisions that ended the Second Karabakh War in 2020. The blockade of the corridor has led to food and medicine shortages in Artsakh, as well as at least one person dying due to not being able to travel to Armenia for further medical care. At this time, the only vehicles being let through the blockade are those belonging to Russian forces and the International Red Cross, who are desperately trying to bring aid to Artsakh. The blockade has gone on for over a month, and right now it shows no signs of ending. An update on the Iran protests. Anti-regime protests in the country continue for the fourth month in response to the killing of Masha Amini by Iran's morality police in Tehran. Protests have been recorded in dozens of cities across the country. The death toll of demonstrators and bystanders ranges anywhere from 200, according to the government, to 573, according to Reuters. And there's other groups that made estimates in between that as well. Over 70 security forces personnel have been killed. This round of protests grew to become the largest in scale since the 1979 Islamic Revolution that brought the current regime to power. Approximately 90,000 Iranians have engaged in the protests, which have been spearheaded by university students, particularly in the capital city, Tehran. The Iranian government is continuing to blame the protests on the United States and Israel, saying that the two are trying to create an Islamic state branch in Iran. The government is trying to frame the protests as an insurgency as well. And additionally, Iran has been lashing out beyond its borders, striking Kurdish Iranian dissident militias based in Iraq, blaming the protest on them as well. Regime forces have been accused of gunning down protesters en masse, beating people, and committing horrific crimes such as sexual assault. Of the protesters that have been arrested and imprisoned, some have been charged with waging war against God, and at least four of them have been found guilty and executed. That's an additional two from the last update we did. 23-year-old Mohsen Shikari was accused of blocking a road and assaulting a police officer with a machete. He was executed on December 8th, and human rights groups have called his trial a show without due process. On December 12th, 23-year-old Madadreza 
Renovard was executed after being found guilty of involvement in the death of two Bashish militiamen. His trial was likewise referred to as a sham by human rights groups. Mohammed Mehdi Karami and Mohammed Husseini have been executed within the past week as well. The two men were accused of killing a 27-year-old Bashish militiaman in the city of Karaj. The Bashish is subordinate to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and has played a large role in suppressing protests for the past few months. The Iran Human Rights News Agency believes that at least 26 other Iranians may face a death penalty as well for being involved in the protest. We'll keep you guys up to date on that. We will take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back with what should be the biggest story of last week. On January 6th, a major security situation unfolded in Mexico after the son of imprisoned Sinaloa cartel leader Joaquin El Chapo Guzman Ovidio El Raton Guzman Lopez was arrested by Mexican Marines in Jesus Maria, 40 kilometers north of Culiacan, Sinaloa. The entire state of Sinaloa was placed on lockdown by cartel and security forces. Local sources also report that the commander of the 9th military zone for the Secretariat of National Defense was replaced just hours before the raid on Jesus Maria. The 9th military zone covers Culiacan and the surrounding areas. Heavy clashes have broken out between the two sides and the state with reinforcements from both sides flowing into Sinaloa as well. On the day of the arrest, violence was recorded multiple times throughout Sinaloa. T-6 Texan aircraft of the Mexican Air Force and helicopters were recorded providing air support to government forces in Culiacan. Cartel members attacked the Culiacan International Airport and fired on at least three aircraft on the runway. That's two military and one civilian passenger plane. The civilian Aeromexico plane was shot at while taxiing on the runway. Videos posted to social media show passengers ducking in between seats with their heads down as the plane taxied. One of the military aircraft was carrying Guzman and was able to depart the airport. That plane flew to Campo Militar 1 in Mexico City, a large military base where he was processed before being turned over to federal prosecutors. There was also a breakout attempt at a prison in Culiacan and at least one National Guard base in Sinaloa was attacked by cartel members as well. Authorities across the state remain on high alert and expect further retaliation. This brings back memories of the Culiacanazo in 2019 when Ovidio was arrested by the Mexican National Guard. His arrest set off firefights around Culiacan in which the National Guard unit that arrested him was quickly surrounded and he was released from custody on orders of the Mexican president. The Sinaloa cartel also responded to Guzman's arrest by issuing an ultimatum to President Andres Manuel López Obrador, giving him 72 hours to release El Chapo's son. If that deadline was not met by then, they threatened to destroy gas stations and civilian military and government infrastructure. That deadline has since passed and Guzman is still in custody. On January 7th, a federal judge in Mexico City halted the extradition of Guzman to the United States. Additionally, Mexican Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard said that Guzman would have to resolve his charges in Mexico before being extradited to any country. At this time, it isn't clear that El Raton will be extradited to the U.S. where he faces charges related to the trafficking of fentanyl. He is currently at the Federal Social Redaptation Center Number 1 
also known as Altiplano in the state of Mexico. Also on the 7th, the Mexican military launched another operation in the Hidalgo neighborhood of Culiacan to capture Nestor Isidro Garcia, otherwise known as El Nini. He is the head of a group of Sicarios belonging to the Guzman faction of the Sinaloa cartel known as Los Chapitos. Garcia played a large role in the Culiacanazo in 2019, leading the group of Sicarios that freed Ovidio Guzman. He also tried to rescue Guzman last week and was heard over the radio ordering his Sicarios not to fire on civilian aircraft at the airport. Rumors claim that El Nini was arrested on the 7th, but these are false. He did escape that operation. In the process, one man, a civilian in his early 80s, was shot and later died at the hospital. On the 8th, 1,500 soldiers from the Mexican army were deployed to Culiacan to restore order in the city. This is a move signaling that AMLO, as the president is widely known, is not as willing to backpedal on these events as he was in 2019. So far, at least 19 cartel members and 10 Mexican security forces personnel have been killed. That's according to the government. A number of civilians have been killed as well. Among the dead of Mexican security forces are 25-year-old Victor Manuel Benuelos Jimenez and Colonel Juan Jose Moreno, both of the 43rd Infantry Battalion based out of the city of Tepec. Colonel Moreno was the battalion commander and he was killed in a cartel ambush in the city of Esquinapa in Sinaloa. Along with him, four members of his personal security detail were killed as well. I'm not sure if Benuelos Jimenez was killed in that ambush or somewhere else. The 43rd Battalion was sent to Sinaloa as federal reinforcements on January 6th. On the 7th, in a completely separate event, a cartel ambush in the town of Charcas in the state of San Luis Potosi left three soldiers dead and eight injured. Notably, cartel members used a pickup truck that was cloned to look like a technical from the National Guard. The men that were killed were identified as Luis Fernando V of the Army, Jose Miguel E, and Rene Batista G of the National Guard. And we'll finish it off here with the United States. On the 1st, the United States officially transferred from a wartime to a peacetime status in regards to the global war on terror. Technically, the GWAT, as it's known, is still ongoing. However, the Department of Defense says this transition occurred due to the small-scale nature of continuing combat operations against terrorist groups. Along with this transition comes an update for two medals distributed to most active-duty American servicemen since 9-11. On January 5th, in an address on immigration, President Joe Biden announced the expansion of a program that gives temporary asylum to a certain number of Venezuelans each month. Under the expansion each month, the United States will provide asylum to up to 30,000 migrants from Venezuela, Cuba, Haiti, and Nicaragua. The program, which was originally launched in October, only applies to those that apply for asylum at an official port of entry and have a sponsor within the United States. Any migrants that do not meet those qualifications or arrive after the monthly quota has been filled will be expelled from the country to Mexico, according to the president. This move comes as the Supreme Court recently rebuked Biden's efforts to end Title 42. That is a temporary immigration law that allows the United States to expel those seeking asylum due to public health risks relating to COVID-19. This also comes as Biden visited El Paso on Sunday, January the 8th, and he will be visiting Mexico this week. He is currently there right now. On January 6th, former National Security Advisor John Bolton announced his bid for the 2024 president election on the Republican ticket. 
Bolton made it clear that his main motivation for running is to rebuke former President Donald Trump, who is also running. As of right now, the two are the only ones with name recognition that have publicly announced their runs for president. 74-year-old Bolton told Good Morning Britain, quote, I wouldn't run as a vanity candidate. If I didn't think I could run seriously, then I wouldn't get in the race, end quote. He also said, quote, I would get in to win the nomination and I would do it primarily on the basis that we need a much stronger foreign policy, end quote. He is well known for his extremely hawkish foreign policy views. He was a major figure behind the decision to invade Iraq in 2003. He's also been a huge advocate for potential regime change in Iran, North Korea, Syria, Cuba, Libya, and Venezuela. Last year, in an interview with CNN, he admitted to planning multiple coup d'etats without expanding on that statement. John Bolton also previously served as the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. and held positions within the State Department, Department of Justice, and USAID. Generally speaking, he is a fairly unpopular figure in American politics, especially among younger generations that know of him. He has been heavily criticized for his willingness to advocate for war, despite not being willing to actually serve in one. While he was a supporter of the war in Vietnam, Bolton admitted to enlisting in the Maryland National Guard in 1970 to avoid being deployed to Vietnam because he, quote, had no desire to die in a Southeast Asia rice paddy, end quote, because he considered the war already lost. Also on the 6th, after 15 separate votes to elect a Speaker of the House, Representative Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California, was finally elected to the office. This is the first time since 1923 that it has taken more than one ballot to elect a Speaker. In 1923, it took nine ballots to elect Frederick Huntington Gillette. The most votes it has ever taken was 133 when Nathaniel Prentice Banks was elected in 1855. McCarthy's election to the seat was mostly held up by a group of 20 Republicans, including representatives such as Chip Roy of Texas, Lauren Boebert of Colorado, and Matt Gates of Florida. Some of the concessions McCarthy made towards the 20 members include a cap on discretionary spending for defense and domestic matters, creating a subcommittee on the, quote, weaponization of the federal government, and giving members of the House Freedom Caucus spots on the House Rules Committee, among other things. That is all I have for you guys this week. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast. Of course, it really means a lot to me. First news podcast of the year. Going to try and be as consistent with this as I can. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. You could find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That's all one word. You could find us on Telegram now at Analyze and Educate. It's the and symbol not spelled out. You could be sure to leave us a five-star review rating on the app you listen to this podcast. We would really appreciate that as well. And again, that's all I have for you guys. We'll see you around.